Good morning, 1548 Heights, members and guests online and in person, grace and peace to you in abundance. Thank you so much, Bill. Isn't it great to have Bill Ward back leading worship with us? He is a grandfather now for the fifth time along with Hemet. Uh, Jared and Brittany had their little baby girl. Uh, Juliet is her name, and so we rejoice in that. Last week we had our Welcome to 1548 Heights luncheon. I'm pleased to announce uh, seven new covenant members today. Covenant membership is uh, just our description of what takes place when you decide to make that step from being a frequent guest here, worshiping regularly, to uh, taking a step of partnership and, and entering into covenant with this congregation to worship and serve the Lord here and help us further our mission. And so we welcome Stephen and Jennifer Kirk, Emily Preston, Jordan Gutierrez and Chantel Robinson, and Ashley Rickardson and her son Tom. The next uh, covenant membership will be, uh, luncheon will be on October 1st, and you'll receive an invitation to that or see it in the bulletin, and we'd, we'd love to, uh, to welcome you to participate in that. At 1548 Heights, our mission is to be a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. For God's glory, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of the world. God loves us so much that He welcomes us as we are. He loves us too much to want us to stay that way. This morning, uh, Carol and Eric uh, Leon and their beautiful daughter Sophia came in and I gave them a little hug, and, and I said to Carol, Carol, you are hot. And uh, I realized after I said that, that you know, <laughs> maybe that's not the best way to put it. And, you know, I gave her a little side hug, and what that means is in the 30 seconds it took them to walk from their car to the church building, you know, we all overheat, right? It's that hot outside. But I mentioned that just to... Uh, to embarrass Carol, but also to say that uh, I've sort of left a lot of room in the message today for ad-libbing, uh, which preachers call being spirit-led. Anne's over there shaking her head, no, don't, don't go there, brother. And I just wanted to, sometimes when I ad-lib, it, you know, it doesn't come out just right, but I assure you that uh, I mean the best, or so that's the story. But today, and at least one other message, because I'm just really getting into this story. We're going to talk about the story of Jacob in the Bible. And I want to start today, by the way, there's a, a little uh, outline in your bulletin if you find that helpful to follow along and, and write notes and things. We encourage you to take that out. We also have children's boxes for the children because we uh, resume our children's church next week. If you're an adult and you want to take a children's box, feel free. If you're a child, you want to fill in the outline, feel free if you're a precocious little child. But I want to start by just locating the story of Jacob, and this, I hope this is helpful. So if you look in the Bible, in the beginning of the Bible, we have Genesis chapters 1 through 11. This is really an extended creation story. It's really prehistory, if you will. And then in Genesis 12, we see the call of Abraham to leave where he is and go to a, a new place to be uh, the father of a nation of God's own people, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. 
And thus we began what we might call covenant history or salvation history. And Abraham has a son, Isaac. And Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And normally the, the lineage or the, the, the covenant goes through the oldest, but this goes through Jacob, who we're going to talk about today. And then after Jacob is Joseph. Now, I put Joseph in a little different color here because there are really three patriarchs, but some consider Joseph a patriarch. But we call these the patriarchs. And Genesis 12 through 50 is sort of the patriarchal story. And then there's 400 years in Egypt, and then we come to Moses. And so that just sort of gives us a location uh, for what we're going to talk about today. And I want to begin by narrating the story of Jacob up to the point where we will talk about today, which is his wrestling with an angel or with God uh, through the night in Genesis 32. So the story begins when uh, Isaac and Rebekah uh, conceive. It's late. Rebekah could not conceive for a long time. Familiar story. Isaac prays, please, Lord, bless her. And so she conceives. And they conceive, and she gets pregnant. And we're told that the babies in her womb struggle against each other, you know. And then when they are born, Esau is born first, and he's kind of reddish and hairy, so he's called Esau, which means may mean hairy. And Jacob is born second, grasping Esau's heel. And so he's given the name Jacob, which means grasping the heel, which is a, a euphemism for deceiver, manipulator, usurper. And so we're told that as these two sons grow up, Esau is a man of the outdoors. He hunts, and he likes to be outdoors. I, I say he's a, he's a manly man. And uh, because his father likes wild game, Isaac looks white, they're sort of, uh, they have simpatico. He's kind of a, a father's boy. And Jacob likes to, quote, stay back among the tents, which means not go out to hunt, but to stay back with the, 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 the tribe, the women, and the children. And guess what? Uh, Rebecca really favors Jacob. Now, that's an auspicious start to the story. Each parent has their own special child. Well, at one point, Esau is out hunting, and he comes back, and he's very hungry. And Jacob has just made some food, as is his want. And Esau says, uh, would you give me some of that stew? And Jacob says, well, will you sell me your birthright? Now, a birthright is, uh, as far as we understand, some kind of cultural or maybe even a legal thing. The primogeniture, the firstborn, gets the larger share of the inheritance, etc. Maybe even all the inheritance. And Esau, if you can believe this, says, well, what good's a birthright if I'm going to die of starvation? And he says, okay. And Jacob usurps Esau's birthright by just giving him some food. And in the story, we're told, thus Esau despised his birthright. Well, the years go on, and Isaac is getting old and feeble. And he says to his son uh, Esau, would you go out and, you know, 
get some game and bring it home and make me a great meal and come to me so I can bless you. The blessing is very, very important. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's kind of like a spiritual imprimatur, a, 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 a marking that you are the, the, the favored one through whom God will work. And, uh, and Esau goes out to hunt. And guess who hears Isaac say this? Rebecca, his wife, Jacob's mom. And she says, listen, you've got an opportunity here to usurp the blessing. So I want you to do this. I'll make you some food and go into your father and pretend you're Esau and get the blessing. And Jacob says, well, how can I pretend I'm Esau? He's hairy and I'm not. My dad won't, your dad will know. And she goes, trust me, I'll get some of Esau's garments and put them on you. And we'll put goat skins on your arms so they'll be hairy. Trust me, this will work. And so Jacob does this. And he goes in, and he acts like Esau, and his father, old and feeble, gives him the blessing. <laughs> so now he's got uh, Esau's birthright, and he's got Esau's blessing. How do you think Esau feels about this? He comes back right after this, and he says, Dad, I've got your game, I've got your meal. Oh, I can't wait to give this to you and get the blessing, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, Isaac says, I don't have it to give to you, son. I gave it to Jacob. Well, Esau vows, after my dad dies and I've mourned enough time, <laughs> I'm going to kill Jacob. Well, Rebecca knows this. And so she says, and by the way, Esau has married two Hittite women, uh, which are not of the Aramean ancestry or tribe, and Rebecca can't stand them. And she whines about it all the time and she says just I want to send you to my brother Laban <clears throat> uh, far away and I want you to take a wife from among them and that'll get you away from Jacob who wants to kill you excuse me from Esau who wants to kill you and Isaac at the same time because Rebecca is complaining so much about the Hittite wives says son I want you to go away and get a, get a wife from Laban's tribe. So unwittingly, Isaac go, goes ahead and, and gives the command to Jacob that Rebekah gave him, but Rebekah manipulated so that Isaac gives it. See how this family works? <laughs> so you with me so far? Sometimes I'm not with me. So Jacob leaves, and he's got a long distance to travel. And he gets to the area where Laban lives, and he sees some shepherds at a well. And he asks them, do you know a man named Laban? They say, yes, we do. Yes, he's from here. And Jacob's very happy to hear that. And while he is there, here comes a young woman who happens to be Laban's daughter. Her name is Rachel. She's a shepherd too, and she brings her sheep to the well. And we're told that Jacob is just overwhelmed by her beauty. Uh, I mean, he's just thunderstruck and totally against cultural custom. Uh, he, he, he starts weeping and tries to kiss her. And we actually have a picture of this. See, Jacob meets Rachel and weepily kisses her. I thought that'd get a little bit of reaction from you. 
I mean, we'd call that some kind of assault these days, but it's just really a sort of a, a, a breakdown of machismo. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think, you know, this bears some resemblance to when I met Angela. And I was just overwhelmed, and I couldn't think of anything to do but start crying. And then I tried to kiss her, and she fended me off and says, stop your blubbering. But at, at any rate, it's a beautiful love story. And so... Jacob meets Laban, and Laban says, well, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, why don't you work for me? And they, uh, uh, Jacob asked for Rachel's hand in marriage, if you will, and his father said, uh, sure, sure, um, but you've got to work seven years for it, okay? And Jacob, who is a shrewd negotiator, says, okay. And so he works with his father, soon to be father-in-law, for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, his, he says, I'm ready to take Rachel in marriage now. And his father said, okay, that was our deal. And they have a sort of ceremony. Well, at the end of the evening, when, you know, the wine has been flowing, uh, Laban substitutes his older daughter, Leah, and they're wearing veils, substitutes her for Rachel. And, J and Jacob goes into the tent and consummates the marriage, and he wakes up the next morning, and it's Leah, not Rachel. Now, does that sound a little bit like something that happened before in Jacob's life, substituting for something else and being deceived? Well, he's pretty uh, angry about this, and he protests to, to Laban, and Laban says, well, you're right, but listen, it's a custom to marry your oldest daughter first. So I'll tell you what, after you spend the marriage week with, uh, with Leah, I'll, I'll give you Rachel in marriage, and you can work for me another seven years. And Jacob, who is a shrewd negotiator, says, okay. <laughs> and listen to this, the story tells us, but the seven years were like a day for Jacob because he loved Rachel so much. Let's just have a moment of silence so all the husbands here can say to their wives, you know, that's kind of like our marriage, honey. That's the way I feel. Uh, and so Jacob works another seven years, and then he takes Rachel as his wife. And then he, he spends uh, six years working for his father-in-law, but under an unusual arrangement where Jacob is able to sort of outsmart his father-in-law and develop the strongest and best flocks for himself, completely legally, I mean, and, and Laban gets the weakest and least desirable of the flocks. And after a while, this becomes more and more evident to Laban <laughs> that Jacob is really outperforming him, and his attitude changes for Jacob, towards Jacob. And Jacob also hears from the Lord to say, you know, it's really time to go back home, okay? And so Jacob and his two wives, Rachel and Leah, and their, their servants and cattle and flocks, they start heading back to Canaan, and they don't tell Laban <laughs> that they're leaving. Jacob deceives Laban. And uh, they start to head away. And Laban starts pursuing them. And so this is the story where we take it up. Except one of the things happens. Jacob finally, Jake, uh, help me out here, I'm sorry. Laban finally catches Jacob and his wives and the, and the children and the flocks. 
And he says, uh, you deceived me. How, how ironic is that, right? These are two deceivers and manipulators. You deceived me, and uh, you didn't even let me uh, have time to say goodbye to my grandchildren, which is like the ultimate guilt statement, right? And, 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 and Jacob says, listen, you changed my wages 10 times. You've been cheating me for 20 years. I'm done, and I'm going back, and this and that. Well, there's, there's still a lot of animosity, so they decide we're going to make a line, and you go this way, I'll stay back here, and neither one of us crosses it, and we'll just call that a covenant, and we'll agree to disagree, and we'll sort of love each other at a distance, if you will. Now, that is where uh, we're going to start the story today, but let's just make look at some observations. I'll first say, and you can agree, that J- Jacob's life is like a big old relational hairball. Jacob's life is like a big old relational hairball. Uh, how many of you have cats? Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hairballs happen with numerous animals, but it's mostly associated with, with cats. Here's a little picture. So cats clean themselves, and I, over time, and that's a good thing, over time the fur, they ingest fur, and it congeals in the stomach, and the acids work, and it can't pass, and so they have to retch it back up. But in the meantime, here's a picture of a hairball. <laughs> Angela's losing it up here. But, I mean, they're just kind of gross. I mean, they're mucus and hair and this and that. And, just like, and, you know, Jacob's life is like this relationally. He was sort of estranged from his dad, didn't have a good relationship with his dad. His mother was manipulative, and he was totally enmeshed in her favorite. And then he cheats Esau, and Esau wants to kill him. And then he gets to Laban, his father-in-law, and they're deceiving each other and trying to best each other. I mean, it's just like this. Uh, I did, we did something uh, unusual last night. Angela mentioned going out to dinner and and how disappointing it was to her, which <laughs> I would like to think maybe the company made a difference. But, uh, but afterwards, I said, may I read the story of Jacob to you aloud? Because I really wanted to sort of, I don't know, go through it again. So I read five chapters in Genesis aloud to her. And Angela, being a marriage therapist and a clinical social worker, she was just cracking up at parts like, this family you know, Rebecca in particular, what a manipulative, deceptive woman. Uh, but let me just say, my food was very good at dinner last night. But here's the thing about hairballs. Hairballs must come up. Hairballs must come up. And make this note, friends, Jacob's past has caught up with him. Jacob's past has caught up with him. He has spent his life as a deceiver and a manipulator, and he has seen that that will come back sometimes because Laban manipulates and deceives him, and now it's all catching up to him. You know, I remember when I was in high school, 11th grade was kind of the the uh, the crucial year, which happened coincidentally to coincide with when I started driving, Um, but I got into some really, a lot of mischief, not necessarily criminal, sort of borderline criminal. I know that's hard to believe. I'm such a little square now, but, 
uh, I was sort of out of control, and I'd been involved in four or five incidents, and I'd managed to lie about each one of them and create a little scenario and this and that, and I was, and I was just thinking those five incidents, and I think I got past that now. That's all been covered up, and, and I remember one of the parents uh, who had been tangentially involved figured it out, <laughs> and he came over to our house, and he met with my dad and me, and he spelled it all out. I mean, I was totally busted. And I remember one of the lessons I took from that is you just can't, you can't outrun this stuff. It's going to come out. And what happens in our past, if it hasn't been dealt with in some redemptive or reconciling way, it's probably going to come back. And that's what happens with Jacob. So what does Jacob do? Well, first of all, the, the word deceive is used only four times in Genesis. The whole 50 chapters of Genesis and all four times it's describing or referring to Jacob. I mean, that's who he is, the deceiver. So Jacob plans and he prays. Jacob plans and he prays. These are good things to do. He says to, let's look at that note up there, Jacob plans and he prays. He, he says, I'm going to send some people to meet Esau. So let's just look at this. Esau's coming from the south. Laban's in the north, and he's heading south. So he says, I better, I better send some people to Esau. Just let people know I'm coming and offer my sincere friendship to him. And he sends these messengers to Esau. And his messengers come back and they say, Esau's coming towards you. And he's got 400 men with him. And he ain't happy. And so Jacob uh, plans to send gifts and goodies to Esau to sort of prepare the way for any kind of reconciliation. But then he prays. Then he prays. So Jacob plans and he prays, but something is going on where he still is thinking that he's going to get through this. He's going to figure it out. He will be smart enough and wily enough to sort of fool Esau again. And, you know, the prayer is more like, God, spare me. Uh, just, just spare me from Esau, I, and, and I'll take care of the rest. And Tom Mulholland, in his uh, book called Imitation of Journey, he, he points out something that we'd probably never think of. Jacob sends all his flocks and his wives and his children and his sheep ahead of him and stays back alone. And Mulholland says he's putting everything he has in between him and Esau because he's just saving his own skin. I'll just put everyone in between. So if Esau is going to do any hostility, it'll be towards them. And so Jacob has planned and he's prayed. But, you know, sometimes you can plan and you can pray, and you can't really be in getting real with God. You can just sort of being, you know, still, still, still orchestrating your own journey. And then Jacob, we find, is seized by the divine figure. He is seized by the divine figure. We're told that a man wrestles with Jacob through the night. Now, this man obviously is some kind of divine figure, maybe an angel. Uh, some people suppose, oh, could it be a, could be a demon, could be this, could be that, could be Mary Poppins. Listen, this is, this is God. 
Okay, uh, Jacob even says, look, I, uh, I'll call this place Peniel because I wrestled with God and survived. So this is God, the divine figure, wrestles with him, seizes him. Jacob does not say, I will go and pray and fast alone with God. He just leaves himself alone while sending everyone else ahead of him to deal with Esau, and God seizes him. This is God's initiative, and now we'll read. 32, verse 22 to 32, this description. The same night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jacob. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket. What can we take from this? Well, one thing is, God dislocates the hip tendon uh, for Jacob. Why not just break his arm? You're trying to get his attention, break his leg, break his nose, you know, hit him upside the head. I don't know. The hip tendon, let's take a quick look here. The hip tendon is quite possibly the strongest tendon in the human body. It governs locomotion, forward, backward, sideways. I mean, when your hip tendon is injured, it, you are severely impaired. Uh, when I read this last night to Angela, she said, you know, I, I gave birth to two daughters without medication and I've had hip surgery, and I'll take the two births any day. That's how painful the hip surgery was. And I said, well, you weren't alone when you gave birth. I mean, I was there blubbering and trying to kiss you like Jacob. But this hip tendon is the strongest tendon in our body, and God has to sort of break Jacob down. He has to break them down. Look, you've been getting by on all your manipulations and deceptions, and you're so clever and so smart, but I, I, I need you to know that it's, it's through me that you will proceed in life and be, be the figure you're going to be, be the leader you're going to be. And second thing, this is so, so interesting. When, when God or the divine figure asks Jacob, what is your name? Jacob says Jacob, which means deceiver, usurper, uh, manipulator. Well, when was the last time someone asked Jacob his name? It was when he went into his father Isaac. And his father said, who is this? And Jacob says, Esau. Esau. So when the divine figure asks Jacob his name, he's really saying, now, who are you really? And Jacob says, I'm the deceiver. I'm Jacob. 
I'm the manipulator. Jacob finally owns up to the way who he has been living and how he's been living and who he has been. And you know what happens after this? We'll talk about this in the next message. But Jacob has been behind his whole family, putting them all between him and Esau, uh, saving his own skin. You know what happens after this? The next morning, Jacob goes around his family and he leads the way. And he faces Esau first. Because Jacob has been pronounced a new man. You are now Israel. Israel means struggles with God or God's struggles. Think about that. God's chosen people who, through whom we carry forward the covenant, Christians, says, I want to be known as the God you struggle with. I'm not afraid of that. Don't you be afraid of that. Through that is how you will be transformed into the people I created you to be if you will struggle with me and not run away and not try to play your little games, but just just face me and I promise, I promise that struggle will be redemptive. Make this notes, friends. Jacob becomes Israel when he wrestles with God, when he wrestles with with God. Jacob could have fled. He could have stayed and manipulated. Uh, he, he could have done this or that, but he says, I'm going I'm to stay in this one, and I'm going to wrestle and struggle with God. And friends, you know, that's a model. That's a paradigm, if you will, for our spiritual transformation journey. It's like stay in there, wrestle with God, bring your doubts, bring your hurts, bring your anger, and somehow that will be redemptive. Friends, God is faithful and God will bring you through those long nights of struggle. That is, is something this story tells us. Praise God. And may we be people willing to meet God uh, through the night and wrestle with Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We're reminded of the way Jesus prays through the night in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and wrestles with you. And He leaves all the more resolute about going to the cross and fulfilling your plan. And Father, we thank you for the story of Jacob and help us stay in there. Stay in there and be willing to struggle with you because we we trust and we know that you love us and you want us the best for us and you have a you have a something in mind for the kind of people we can be. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs>